for me, it was all about, okay, look, I, I have to meet the standard of two exceptional financial planners. I mean, these people have national, international reputations. They've been at this for a long time. They're really good at it. And they're trusting me to be an integral part of, of their firm. I'm Matt Fazell from Madison, Wisconsin, and you're listening to You're a Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. In today's episode, Yusuf Abujideri joins us to explore his career growth into a senior financial planner and partner at Yeski Bowie. His experiences have pushed him to be the best version of himself and he attributes it largely to the years of mentorship and guidance he received from the team there. As you'll hear, Yusuf always knew he wanted to be a rainmaker, and Yeski Bowie made it possible for him to build his career in a way that was fulfilling for him. Straight ahead, Yusuf walks us through his career growth and everything he's learned over the past several years. So we're here today with Yusuf Abujaderi from Yeski Bui to talk a little bit about his career trajectory and uh, growth through the firm to be partner. So Yusuf, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So as we think about this month and when we're thinking about managing um, and networking, you came to mind for me because I, I, you and I have talked a lot over the years about your different uh, opportunities through Yeski Bui and your career trajectory and track um, and the ability to manage people. Um, and I think it's a wonderful story and I'm really interested to hear where did it all start? <laughs> uh, I started at Virginia Tech. You know, the story about how I met Elisa is interesting. I was in the right place at the right time. Uh, quick backstory, the financial planning program at Virginia Tech had just completed a field trip up to D.C., to visit several financial planning firms. And that was where I realized, you know, sitting in someone else's office, looking out at the view from behind their desk and hearing them talk about how they work to serve clients. This was, this was the career for me. And so I was really excited. Um, we got back to tech, uh, I believe Friday night. And I think it was a Saturday morning. Uh, that I was giving a presentation as one of the ambassadors of the College of Business. So it was an information session for parents of uh, prospective students. And it was a presentation I had given a number of times. Um, decided to spice it up a little bit. Uh, for those who know me, I'm, I'm a sneakerhead. And I had noticed one of the kids uh, coming in had, you know, pretty rare pair of uh, Adidas sneakers that were lime green. And so I chatted him up before the presentation, got up on stage and to kick off my presentation, I, I said, okay, where's, where's the kid with the shoes? And he helped me out. He put his hand up. And so what I did was I said, look, here are my notes for today's presentation. I'm going to give them to you. You follow along. And if I hit all my points blind, you give me the shoes. And if I miss one or I mess up, uh, then you get a free ride to Virginia Tech, which obviously was not within uh, my power to <laughs> offer. <laughs> um, and Dean Sorensen at the time was pretty unenthused with, uh, <laughs> with the <laughs> um, But it turned out fine, you know, and, and the kid played along with, you know, the presentation he kept me honest. We had a good time with it. And, and I ended up hitting all my points and um, I closed. <laughs> Did you get the shoes though? No, I didn't get the shoes. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't bother him for those. 
Um, but I closed by saying that I wanted to be a rainmaker at a top financial planning firm. Now, unbeknownst to me, uh, you know, as I'm giving this speech about how Virginia Tech helped me find my career path and, you know, I'm all passionate about financial planning, Elisa Bowie is sitting in the audience with, uh, at the time, our operations manager, Marsha Bowie, um, and her daughter, Lauren, who was set to become a freshman uh, at Virginia Tech. And they had somehow received my resume. I had applied for an internship with a firm now known as FJY. Um, they had filled the position before I even interviewed. They passed along my resume um, and Marsha had seen it. And so they recognized my name and said, okay, there's, you know, there can't be that many Yusuf Abujaderis in, in financial planning. You know, let's, let's talk to this gentleman. And so they came down and, and introduced themselves to me after the presentation. Elisa gave me her card um, and offered me an internship saying, you know, I have a financial planning firm and, uh, you know, loved your presentation. Like to get to know you a bit more, and I turned her down. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I had an internship for the summer already secured. This was April of uh, 2008. Um, I was set to work with GE um, for their asset management arm up in Stanford, Connecticut, as part of their uh, financial management program. So um, you know, we parted ways, and uh, it was I don't know, maybe a week later or so. I was talking to Derek Clock, one of the directors of the financial planning program, and said, oh, hey, you know, isn't this funny? This, uh, this woman offered me an internship, and you know, I must have given a great presentation. And you know, He gets all wide-eyed and says, well, what'd you say? Turned her down. You know, I'm doing the FMP thing for, for GE. And <laughs> he said, no, no, no. <laughs> you need to call her back. <laughs> uh, you need to apologize, and, you know, this is who she is, and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, once it... Once I was, I became aware of what kind of an opportunity it would be uh, to learn from her and ultimately get a chance to meet Dave and learn from him. Um, it was quite clear that I needed to, to revise my approach. So I ended up calling her and apologizing. We met, she interviewed me, um, I believe in May. And then we worked out a, a winternship. So I ended up, I, I satisfied my, my, um, my obligations with GE. And then um, I ended up interning with Yeski Bowie December and January you know, for over a three-week stretch uh, between the end of 08 and the beginning of 09. And so from that internship, what were your responsibilities as an intern at Yeski Bowie? <laughs> so they, uh, they put together a, a list of things that I would do in the office. And they also gave me a list of materials to read and brush up on just to familiarize myself with of the firm's philosophy. Um, what was unique about that time is, you know, things were, were pretty crazy um, in the markets. And Yeski Bowie had just formed, it was January of 2008, was when the merger between uh, David and Lisa's predecessor firms happened. So, you know, just at the end of its first year of existence, um, you know, things were, again, pretty crazy out there. And so, what Dave and Elisa offered to members of the firm, rather than giving out, you know, huge end of year bonuses was, look, you know, we'll, we'll man the fort for a couple of weeks. Everyone take time and, and be home with your families. Um, except for me, I was, I was around. <laughs> so it was, it was a great opportunity, right? I mean, you get a chance to hang out with the CEO and managing director of sure. a financial planning firm. And, and I, 
I said, thanks for the homework. Thanks for all the reading assignments. I'll do that on my own time. I'd like to spend as much time as possible doing real work um, at the office with you. And so I was reviewing portfolios and uh, learning how to rebalance accounts, um, doing database management. I mean, you name it. It was anything from, you know, typical intern work to as close as you could get to real financial planning work. Um, I sat in on meetings. I took notes. Um, I mean, all, all kinds of work. And, and it, was, it was great. I was hooked. And by, by the end of it, I was fortunate enough to have been extended an offer. And then I joined the firm in September of 2009. Awesome. So September of 2009 comes. Uh, you've graduated college. You spent some time at home. Um, you went out to California, is that right, for your first stint with Yeski Bowie or your first uh, period of time? Yeah, the first chapter. Sure, um, we were we were shorter staffed in that in that office at the time, and that's where you know David and Lisa told me they needed me. And the agreement was always for me to come back to Virginia at some point, um, not quite as quickly as we as it ended up working out. Uh, the initial plan was you not know, go out there, do grad school out there, you know, spend a few years, and then come back. Um, you know, as I kind of settled into my career, uh, within the first few months, uh, we had some turnover, folks left, and we kind of hit the reset button. Um, you know, by April of 2010, the only people who worked at Yeski Bowie were Yeski Bowie, me, and uh, Summer, who was our client service administrator. So Dave and Elisa sat me down and just said, okay, where, where do you want to be? Um, <laughs> do you want to go back home? Do you want to stay out here? Uh, you know, you've, you've, you've made it this far. You've demonstrated uh, you know, the commitment that you want to be here. So where do you want to further your career? And I, I decided I wanted to come home uh, for a number of reasons um, and then shipped back to Virginia in August of 2010 and I've been here since. Uh, but the time in California was incredible. I mean, there was a stretch where it was just Dave and I in the office. And, you know, it was like Batman and Robin. Uh, that's how <laughs> I started. He, he got the clients. He did the, the complex financial planning. I did the support work. I did the paperwork. Took the notes in the meetings. And, you know, that's where that's where I learned how to, how to work you know, big hours, how yeah. to how to manage my time, how to kind of triage stuff. Um, and he, that was also when he was going back and forth every week, um, you know, between our two offices. And so I'd have a week where it was wall to wall meetings and then a week where I'd get all my work done and then come back <laughs> and would repeat. Sure. Uh, but it, was, it was an exciting time. Yeah. So you're talking about, you know, long hours, real financial planning experience. Um, so, I'm curious, you get to California, you're new to the area. Um, you've actually said to me one time, you know, you have to eat, you have to figure out where to get your laundry done, all of those things that come <laughs> up. And so how do you make the transition from college student who excels in a financial planning program and then receives a job and has to make the transition from no longer being a student um, and on some level, having someone else looking out for you to being all on your own on the opposite side of the country um, and having to manage yourself both personally and professionally. I mean, it's, it's a huge 
learning experience, right? I mean, you are being stretched everywhere you go, everywhere you look, it's something new. And so, I mean, the, the advice I would give to, to people making that transition is just be patient with yourself, right? Um, it's not going to be perfect. You know, you're going to have messy weeks. You're going to have weeks where, you know, you're, you're spending more than you had budgeted to for that week for food just because it's, you didn't have time to meal prep or whatever. So you're going out to lunch every week. Fine. Um, you got to figure out where the gym is. You got to figure out what your routine is. I mean, I remember my routine when studying for the exam, um, at that, by then I had settled in. So my meal prep routine was, was precise, but it had to be, I had no time to waste, uh, get everything ready on Sundays, Monday morning. I'm, I'm on the train studying for the exam. I get to work, work all day, get back, um, to Berkeley. I was, I was living outside the city. You know, hit the gym, get home, eat whatever I had scheduled for the week, study for a couple hours, and then get right back to it. But, you know, it didn't start that way. Um, you know, you ha- I had to build a routine first, and it took months before I was settled in. So it's just, you got to be patient. And then ultimately, you know, if you work at it, things uh, things fall into place. Just to harp on this point for for one moment, you've talked about routine a lot. What does routine look like for someone who's used to purposefully not scheduling 8 a.m.s or um, doing things that in college or in university or wherever you are, um, you're able to do. When you get into the professional world, that transition's a little different. There are, are higher expectations and pulls on your time. Mm-hmm. So what what is it about? So the routine's super important, um, but where do you get started setting a routine? Is it just one thing every day? Like, okay, so for this week, we're definitely going to meal prep and have some success early on. Or is it, I've got to get to the meal prep, got to get to the gym. All of those things have to happen in the first month or two. Yeah. So for me, it used to be a daily thing and I've found more success with a weekly rhythm. It's really hard to have a good day every day, but it's a lot easier to have a good week. Uh, So, you know, if I start planning on a Sunday, Uh, as I was when I was living in Berkeley. Now my planning happens on Fridays, but it's the same process. You look out a week in advance and you identify, okay, what are the things that I need to have a good week? You know, three, four workouts. Okay, check, check, check. We're going to have those on these days. Um, Meal prep for the week. Okay, that's going to happen on this day. Um, Probably going to be in the office, you know, 50, 60 hours, given what's, what's on the calendar. Okay, well, you know, there's a block of time that's off, off the books. Okay, what's left over? Um, and what else do I want to make sure I accomplish um, and start fitting things into time slots where you can achieve those things, right? If it's coordinating a phone call with your family who lives, you know, three time zones away. All right. Well, that has to happen at a point where, you know, it works for everyone's schedule. Um, and then you make the plan so that as your week unfolds and things don't go according to plan, uh, <laughs> you can can adjust on the fly, right? I mean, you kind of have this vision of, okay, well, I thought I was going to get this done, but I can swap this thing and that thing, still achieve both. Or, you know what? Hey, the, this other thing that I really wanted to get done this week is not going to happen. Fine, I'll push it to next week. Um, but taking kind of that macro look at it, for me, enabled me to find um, success with building a routine. Would you say that there's an importance to personal integrity meaning integrity to yourself in this routine? 
doing the things you said you're going to do when you said you were going to do them and holding yourself sort of accountable? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're building a relationship with yourself. You're bu- you're building trust with yourself and, you know, setting realistic expectations. Uh, and then, and then meeting those expectations, it, it does, you know, you, dem- you do demonstrate that integrity that you're talking about. And that's, it's a massive confidence builder. And that's something that's really important, uh, especially as a young professional. So you're setting your routine. You've become a great employee. You were, you were, you made your way back to the East Coast. And I assume sometime between moving back to the East Coast and the most recent developments in your career, um, you've dealt with some feedback, some reviews from your bosses, <laughs> those kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, once or twice. <laughs> so how do you think to yourself, you know, I, I'm, I'm coming into the review the year has gone by. Um, I've been, I've had integrity with myself and followed my routine. Um, and then you come out of that review with some feedback, some opportunities for improvement going forward. Um, where is it that that you're able, or how is it, I should say, that you're able to manage that aspect for yourself? Um, and how does that affect the firm? Um, you responding to feedback well. Well, so again, I mean, let's let's look back at the context, right? I mean, I for a number of months was the only non-founder financial planner at the firm. I wasn't getting feedback, you know, in scheduled review meetings. It was live, real time. Um, and, and that's a part of our culture to this day. I mean, yes, we certainly do have formal reviews and um, goal setting meetings and all of that. But our culture is one where if, if you didn't do something up to standard, uh, you hear about it more or less immediately. Uh, and, and the same is true on the other end of it. If you do something that's exceptional, uh, you're going to hear about it too. And so the growth process is constant and managing the process is, is a constant thing. So, you know, for us, we have agreements, communication agreements that were developed after, you know, my initial years, but, you know, the principles were in place from the beginning. Uh, that feedback is delivered in an honest, direct, respectful manner. Uh, it's timely. It's clear there's an opportunity for you as the person receiving that feedback to ask questions. And for me, it was all about, okay, look, I have to meet the standard of two exceptional financial planners. I mean, these people have national, international reputations. They've been at this for a long time. They're really good at it. And they're trusting me to be an integral part of of their firm. Um, So I crave the feedback. Like, please tell me, what, what am I doing that's not up to your standard. Where am I falling short? Where can I improve? Um, and I asked for it constantly after every meeting, what could I have done better? Um, you know, anytime I turned in a deliverable, what, what could have been, uh, improved upon? Um, and I appreciate that, you know, their ability to give me as much feedback as they gave me was also a bit unique to the circumstance. Uh, they could afford to dedicate that much time, um, to my development. And it's still something that we strive to do as a firm today, you know, deliver that consistent feedback. But I mean, not everybody gets to get it from Dave Yeski and Elisa Bowie. So that was, you know, a unique benefit that I took full advantage of. <laughs> as well you should. Um, so as your career progresses, how did you make or, or what was the decision, the transition to start being a part of managing new hires and your your development and and work on the internship program and working through with residency folks, um, how did that transition happen for you? 
organically, I mean, I, within my first year at Yeski Bowie, was responsible for training others. Um, we hired some folks uh, in June of 2010. So as I was transitioning out of San Francisco, I was playing a role in the in the training of my my replacements. Um, we had hired two financial planners at that time, neither one of which is still with the firm, uh, but they were with us for a time. Um, and one of our client service administrators who's still with us, um, Dorothy Navalis. So I, I played a role in their onboarding. Um, the level of involvement certainly was not where uh, it is today, um, but I was, I was given an opportunity to start getting that kind of experience very early on. Um, so, you know, just another, another blessing of Dave and Elisa's trust in me at a young age. Um, you know, I, I had by then mastered many of the, the pieces of paperwork that we do for clients on a regular basis, right? New account forms, account train, uh, transfer forms, and that kind of thing. So I had the wherewithal to train on, on those items. I was familiar with uh, the software that we use for financial planning, uh, you know, all our internal systems. And so I was given the opportunity to train uh, in all those spaces. And so I gained experience kind of immediately. And then I'd say that I, I built, um, you know, the level of, of confidence that I have now piecemeal from there, managing interns, um, onboarding other recent graduates and helping them grow into financial planners who could, you know, play a, a support advisory role. And then, um, you know, it wasn't until we launched our financial planning resident program in 2014 that it probably, I should say that when we launched our financial planning resident program in 2014. That was when, you know, the managerial and, and, and training uh, experience really kind of leveled up. Um, so uh, we can dive into that if you're ready. Or yeah. If there's no. So so up. my next question, I'm curious. The reason I, this whole buildup is I think it's really interesting to hear the progression, right? So mm -hmm. starting out as a Hokie ambassador potentially working at a different firm, accepting an opportunity with, with a financial planning shop who, with, you know, great experience to work from, um, and then setting your personal management style, right? How do you make sure that you're doing your job every day? Um, and I think what I'm curious about now is as you think about managing others, interns, residency folks, onboarding full-time employees, how does the responsibility feel for you? Um, and the change from I'm no longer just managing myself. Um, there are people, whether they are interns or full-time employees or residency folks who are looking to me to not only be in the office to ask questions, but show up myself and be the example I need to be. So I don't mean for this to be a cop-out, but I, I was never only managing myself, right? Um, yeah, I was never Dave's supervisor. I was never Elisa's supervisor, but you do have to manage up, right? I mean, these are people who are, incredibly busy. Dave is bouncing back coast to coast. Um, it's my job to make sure that the things he needs are put in front of him in a timely manner, um, that the things Elisa needs are delivered to her in a timely manner. And, and I'm working you know, to meet those requirements within the context of their ever-changing schedules. Um, also getting my stuff done as we're having folks you know, join the team, um, helping them get comfortable um, so, I mean, it, it was never just me. Um, and I think that's also a blessing, uh, in the way that my career unfolded because 
that's the way I just learned to operate. Yes, I, Yusuf, have things that I have to get done every day. And they're within the context of what we, Yeski Bui, are trying to achieve. Okay, so given that context, where is my time best used? Well, what are my most pressing deadlines? What has to happen to meet what's required uh, for those various deadlines? Um, and then working backwards from there. And so that's, you know, again, why, you know, a routine like building out a plan for a week in advance, um, I think enables enables one who is in a management role to have success because you know what needs to be achieved. Mm-hmm. You know what's critical, um, what can be pushed. And then, you know, you know the job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, clients have unexpected needs. Things happen. Uh, markets happen. Uh, and and you just have to adjust and be able to discern what's most important uh, given the new context on, on a daily or hourly basis. Um, but if you have that understanding, if you have, if that's the way you operate, then you're well suited, I think, to, to manage others um, and, and make sure that they're getting what they need within the context of their schedules and their task lists and whatnot. Is that a fair answer? Yeah, no, I think it's great. I think what I'm hearing from you is that from the jump, it's all about how you show up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what we're getting to, right? Is that from day one, um, Yusuf is, is, is both managing himself and managing up to the best of his ability. And I think for folks to, to think about where do we want to go in our careers? Um, what do we hope the ends are of our careers and where does it all start? It doesn't start five years later once you realize um, that you're, you're at the firm you maybe want to be at forever and then you start showing up, right? I think what we're hearing from you is that, you know, showed up day one and I'm going to give this everything I have and a certain level of commitment there. Is that fair to say? Totally fair. And so something that you just said triggered two things that I want to make sure I share with you right here. Um, thinking about where you want to be. Right. You just mentioned that. And in, in that first interview with Elisa, I mean, she said, look, it's not it's not out of the question that you could be a partner at this firm in 10 years. So the way that my mind shifted immediately was, OK, I, I need to prove that I can do what she and Dave do. And apparently I've got 10 years to do it. So clock's ticking. And I mean, that was just something that I I imposed on myself um, because that's ultimately where I wanted to be. And I was a hundred percent clear on that. Um, and the opportunity was, I mean, kind of obvious, you know, if you have a chance to learn from the best and join the best at doing what they do, you don't pass that up and you do whatever it is that you can to, to make that opportunity come to fruition. Um, so that's one. Two is, um, you know, my first official review meeting, uh, I'll never forget it. It was a February. So I'd been with the firm for four or five months. Um, Elisa walked into my office in San Francisco. You know, you're doing a great job. Um, you know, appreciated me for uh, some growth that I had demonstrated and then explained my job to me as follows. Your job is to do everything so that Dave or I is positioned to walk into a meeting with a client, deliver exquisite advice, give them an outstanding experience and walk out and make sure that the plan is going to be executed, you know, exactly as we discussed, uh, in the meeting. And so that's, 
that's a big job. Um, that's pretty wide ranging. And so I was challenged to learn a number of different aspects of the implementation of the financial planning process very early on and was charged with owning um, that process. And, um, you know, having extremely high expectations placed upon me was a good motivator um, and, and ensured that I was uh, adequately incentivized to do everything I needed to do uh, <laughs> to show up in the best way um, that, that, uh, that I could. As you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder, you, are, you may be one of the best people to ask this question. I love this question. So you work for... <laughs> you know, two phenomenally well-known financial planners within the profession. Um, and I'm curious, have there been moments as you're working with them that you have some thoughts that come to your mind that are critical in nature and you want to bring them up? But, you know, Dave and Elisa said we should go right. And I'm kind of thinking left might make a better answer for this particular client. And, and how do you approach that with a Dave and, and, and Elisa? So uh, I'll talk about how that um that evolved over time, right? So look, they're incredible financial planners. Rarely is it the case, if ever, that they're going to be giving advice where it's like, oh, you know, I think they can actually do it differently. Of course, of course. Let's get that out there on the table first. Um, it, it was always in the form of a question. And, and it used to be after the meeting, right? You know, at first you're just absorbing everything. Then it's oh, well, you know, I'm not 100% clear as to why you gave this recommendation. It's different from maybe a recommendation that I've heard you deliver in the past. Uh, oh, well, you said, you know, these specific circumstances dictated that you know, we should take a different approach. Oh, okay, got it. Um, when I started to have ideas about recommendations I might want to deliver, um, I would propose them in advance of the meeting. Mm. We've got an opportunity for... Uh, Roth conversion for this client. You know, I think it makes sense for the following reasons. Uh, Elisa, what do you think? She might agree with it. She might not. Uh, and give me the feedback, and then we go into the meeting and take care of the client. When I started to become comfortable enough with our approach, our philosophy, the way we do financial planning, and just you know the practice of financial planning, and I started to have ideas in meetings. I would ask afterwards, you know, I thought about this when you said that, should I have brought that up? And sometimes the feedback would be no, because you're not thinking about this, this, and this. Oh, okay. Thank you for enlightening me. Uh, or yeah, you should have brought it up. Um, and you know, don't, don't be afraid to speak up. Yeah, again, it was, Elisa, I, after I, I transitioned back from San Francisco to Virginia, I spent more time in meetings with her. Um, but it was her that said, as, as long as you're not afraid of me correcting you in front of a client, you know, at, at this point in your career, you've, you've reached the, the, the space where you can start offering those suggestions. Uh, and that was four or five years deep. Uh, you know, it took a while to get there. I had to really learn our clients, really learn, again, the practice of financial planning, uh, you know, and, and more about how our firm approaches it. And, you know, from there, from that point, you know, I'm not always right. Of course. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've, I've learned to become more comfortable with, with throwing my suggestions in there. And certainly now as a lead advisor, I'm, I'm in 
in Elisa's chair. Mm-hmm. It's, it's my chair now, and I'm the one <laughs> delivering recommendations. But um, you know, the the opportunities for feedback from the folks who support me continue to exist. I mean, we we debrief after every client meeting. You know, you said I thought the way you presented this, you, you could have slowed down more, or maybe I don't think the client was totally following you when you were at this part uh, of the presentation. Um, you know, it's. I'm rambling a bit here, but it's funny. I mean, you've got me thinking about growing into the position I'm in. How I benefited from the feedback from from Dave and Elisa, and now how I'm continuing to benefit from feedback uh, from those who are supporting me. So all of this happened uh, over some time, and how many how many years have you been there now? It'll be ten years in September. Ten years in September, and so. Um, do you want to take a moment to deliver the most recent news um, at Yeski Bowie when it comes to the, the leadership structure? As far as uh, how many owners there are at, the That's firm right. at this point? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, as of, uh, as of January 1 of this year, uh, myself, Lauren Stancil, and Lauren Morellis came on as, uh, as partners. Um, and that's something that we are incredibly excited about. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Congratulations. So now we're looking forward towards, you know, your time with Lauren and Lauren and Dave and Elisa as partners um, at Yeski Bowie. How do you sit with the responsibility of being a partner and the inevitable management that's going to come with that? So you asked me about integrity earlier in this conversation, and that's that's the driver. That's everything about ownership to me, right? Because you know, I've spent literally my entire career dreaming of having this opportunity, trying to prepare myself for that opportunity. But, you know, also saying, well, when when it's me, how am I going to fulfill those responsibilities? Uh, what are my expectations of leadership? As a follower, what are my expectations of leadership as a leader? And and trying to remember what it was like, you know, in those early years, and then challenging myself to say, okay, am I going to honor the expectations that I had of of leadership when I was coming up? Am I going to show up in the same way? Um, it's easy to talk about it when you're not in the position. When you're in the position. The challenge is to try to remind yourself of, of the needs of all the people who support you and that you support as, as a leader and manager. Um, and then you have to come correct. I mean, it's, it, and it's not easy, right? So I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, not long after you know, I transitioned into this new role, one of our supporting advisors called me up and said, hey, I, I made a mistake. Um, and it was... A critical one. And it was one that could cost the firm some money, right? Not a huge amount, nothing that's going to affect anything in a material way, but hey, you know, that's coming out of my pocket now. And, and I felt, I felt an emotional reaction, right? Thankfully, I was able to uh, manage it. But so I'm like in real time, checking myself and saying, okay, I know I've always said I wouldn't be uh, reactionary. I wouldn't, you know, I'd be solutions focused, give positive uh, reinforcement and make sure that, you know, the individual understands the severity of the error. 
uh, gets the feedback in real time in a, in a respectful way and then has what they need to go forward and, and improve things, right? And I was transparent with, with this individual. I said, look, this is a big deal. And, and this is an opportunity for you to demonstrate how you're going to respond, um, you know, to something like this. And I have to, I have to tell you, you know, I'm reacting to this differently than I might've two weeks ago. And, and I, <laughs> in the moment, you know, I asked him, I said, look, how is this sitting with you? You know, are, are you, are you hearing the importance of, of this, issue in in our conversation uh and are you receiving feedback in a way that's also going to enable you and empower you to grow from this and and you know we had a great conversation um and and all is settled now the but to answer your question to get back to your question it's just about that integrity and just challenging myself to be the person that i imagined i would be that i that you know we as a firm think our, our partners, our owners, our leaders, our managers should be and um, executing those responsibilities the right way. It takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of time, takes a lot of focus, uh, but it's it's awesome. It's it's an incredible challenge. And when you're when you're meeting that standard of of integrity, uh, it's incredibly affirming. So you become partner, and on the opposite side of the coin, let's say. You had laxed a little bit on your personal integrity and in showing up to the office early or ensuring that you're doing the things that you need to take care of, of yourself. How does that affect your management, do you think, if, it, if that side of things isn't working well? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer your question in a different way. Um, making mistakes now is so much harder than it was at the beginning of my career. Coming up short now, missing deadlines, um, just making errors. It hurts so much more because you should know better. It's a thought that comes up. Um, you know, you expect, I expect uh, a certain standard out of myself. And when I catch errors, when I, when I see that I've, I've come up short, you know, it's, it's so much harder to admit it to myself, to my other business partners, to the team that supports me. I feel like I've let them down. And so managing the shame, anxiety, uh, disappointment that comes with that is, is a continual part of the process. And it's humbling. And, and ultimately, it's good because it reminds you that you can climb as high as you want up the ladder, but you're not perfect. And you can't do your job without the support of all the other people in your organization, right? We, and I'll, I'll use the, the context of, of a, a lead advisor for, for this analogy, but we get to be the face, right? And we get the glory and the credit, but we don't do so much of what has to happen for our clients to be served or for, you know, our firms to operate or, you know, you name it. Um, and it's not just in the, coming up short where you're humbled and, and aware of this, but it does, it certainly does hit home for me in those moments. Um, I, I don't exist in a vacuum and, um, you know, just being appreciative, being grateful of the people who help you do what you do. Um, I'd say that's the benefit that comes with, you know, coming up short, 
spending some time reflecting on, on how to improve and then, uh, you know, appreciate that you're not perfect. So the last thing I think I want to ask you and, and sort of see where it takes you is, you know, again, looking forward, leading alongside your business partners, how do you think about things proactively? And so <laughs> you think about it from a revenue generation perspective, setting goals on an annual basis, um, the culture of the firm, any HR items that might come up, whether it's hiring or just, again, back to culture, figuring out what your employees need. Um, is that a regular process for you personally? And then rolling it back up into all the other partners? Does everyone think about it separately? What are your thoughts there? Oh, my gosh. You want to ask me this question now when we're running out? Of time, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So a few things. Number one, I, I couldn't do the job that I'm doing without partners. I couldn't be a sole owner. Um, the stress, the anxiety of having to figure everything out would just, it would cripple me. I am free to be the best version of myself because of the fact that I have two partners who came along with me, who've grown with me at the firm and because we benefited from, you know, years and years of mentorship uh, and guidance from Dave and Elisa, and we get to chart the path forward uh, with them as well. So, you know, given that, you know, I'm, I'm on a team, right? We can use a basketball analogy, given that there's five of us. Um, I don't have to play all five positions. I'm, I'm able to play the position I'm best suited to play. Um, so for me, I get to do a lot of that kind of thinking. Um, we don't know one individual is in charge of setting the vision um, for the firm. Um, you know, we all kind of collectively do it. We, we have our process that's facilitated by our business coach. Uh, we do a lot of visioning work at our annual staff retreats, and we're constantly kind of touching and affirming the vision of our um, all-hands meetings throughout the year. So, um, but I get to play an active role in participating in that visioning. And, and in doing so, you feel a sense of ownership uh, even before becoming an owner. But that's also the filter for making decisions about the next projects that we take on as a firm or... Um, you know, how the firm needs to change or improve or uh, what have you. Um, so, you know, that's, that's part of the response. Another part would be, you know, one of the things that I always worried about as I approached this role was when I'm in role as, as a partner, how are we going to figure out all the answers, you know, to, to answer the questions or the problems um, that the firm is facing. And what I've learned so far, and this is, I've been in role for three months. Um, your team will tell you what it needs. You have to be willing to listen. You may need to add or uh, help individuals revise an idea or massage it or tweak it or whatever. But um, the people who are doing the work have a really good sense of how to make improvements to help them do better work. And ultimately our clients are the beneficiaries of that. And so if you're willing to listen, if you're then able to use the filter of the firm's vision um, to determine order of priority or feasibility or what have you, um, things, things happen. 
And, and I'm not saying that, you know, you don't also have to be on the ball all the time. You certainly do uh, be staying abreast of what's happening within the profession, what's changing from a policy standpoint. Uh, what are the new rules within we, within which we have to play and exist? Um, certainly what's happening in markets. You know, I mean, there, there's an infinite number of things that we have to stay on top of. Um, and we as, as owners are not alone, right? Our, we have our teams with us and, um, you know, we all get to play in, in figuring out how the firm should move forward. So it's, it's a shared responsibility, um, based on my experience so far. I guess last, before we wrap up, is there anything you would say to prospective managers down the road within financial planning as they're looking at their careers um, and trying to see what it might look like and what they need to do? Patience and empathy are probably the two most critical things to practice um, in leadership. And, and by the way, I'm stealing those words from Lauren Stancil. We were asked a similar question um, in a recent conversation with some other folks and that was her answer and, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're managing, you need to be able to connect with the folks that you're supporting, that you're leading. And a critical function of a manager is to be empathetic and understand where their people are coming from, meet them there and then help them move forward. Um, and I think that's where the patience piece kicks in is understanding, okay, you manager person, uh, have a given set of strengths that has enabled you to get to where you are. Those may or may not be the same strengths, uh, of the people that you're managing. And so learning to help them maximize on their strengths takes patience. And yet it's. It's a very, it's a very fulfilling journey to walk with someone else. If you like this episode, you can find more at fpaactivate.org and be sure to join the FPA Activate community on Facebook. It's a growing study group for financial planning professionals from students to firm owners, professors, and board members. You'll find them all there where you too can lend your voice. We hope you'll join us and help grow the financial planning profession. Thanks for listening.